Welcome to another episode of Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by Smart Logic, a custom web and mobile development shop. This is season 11, where we're branching out from Elixir to compare notes with experts from other communities. Hey everyone, I'm Owen Bickford, senior developer at Smart Logic. And I'm Dan Ivovich, Director of Engineering at SmartLogic. And I'm Sunday Mint, Engineering Manager at Cars.com. And we are your host for today's episode. To kick off the season, this is our all host, so we're just going to talk to each other a little bit about what's coming up this season and some of the guests we have and some of the topics we have in store. We're changing things up for season 11 after an excellent, flawless season 10, I think. And uh, yeah, it's great to be podcasting. How do you guys feel? The, the bar is high. I'm not going to say that we got a comment about last season that the bar was so high, we don't, they didn't know how we were going to, how to beat it. But I think, I think we're going to get there. You know, I like having a reason to talk. I like having something new to listen to. So I'm, I'm on board. If you're hearing this, chances are you've already clicked the play button or you got it, you got it into your podcast player somehow. The theme of the season is branching out. What we're doing differently this season is we're, we're actually pulling in guests from the Elixir community and pairing them up with folks from other communities so we can compare notes. Not to say that Elixir is better or worse than another language, but just to get ideas, compare notes, see what are the differences in how we do things, and is there something we can learn from other communities and maybe something that other communities can learn from us, the way we do things in Elixir land. Yeah, and some of the background on this too is a lot of the times we talk, you know, a lot amongst ourselves, amongst our friends, in the hallway tracks of Elixir Confin and so on, about, you know, things we're doing in Elixir, things that are different. And then we'll go to, I don't know, a meetup with like various people in our city. And then we'll talk to people outside of Elixir. Oh my gosh, what even is that, right? And then you get to talking and you realize that like we live in a in a bubble, like a world where, you know, we, we kind of know everyone, know everything, r- roughly. <laughs> and it's really interesting to engage with people in other languages, other frameworks, other kind of walks of life, just to find out what are they doing with their technology? How are they accomplishing some of these problems in various ways? And I just thought, you know, why don't we talk about it? That would be kind of fun. Would you say our bubble is like the Shire? Like everything's green and rolling hills? <laughs> it's too bad this is not a video podcast because uh, Sunday's confusion is uh, palpable. I mean, I know what a Shire is. I don't know why we're in one. Uh, I'm trying to find the right metaphor. Thinking Lord of the Rings, Shire. Like, you know. I too eat two breakfasts, Owen. <laughs> what was... Dan- what? What's how would you describe the bubble we're in? I can't, I can't. Dan, what are you looking forward to with this season? I, mean, I think I've always taken an approach with this and most things I do around what can I learn from others, what can I learn from my previous experience, be that in Elixir or, or in lots of other languages in my career. We did a, the polyglot season and talked to a lot of people who were doing kind of Elixir plus other things, and you know I think we found that a lot of people were trying to really focus on just one thing. And so let's take that one thing and uh, with each week, with each topic, look at one thing with, with multiple lenses. There's a lot for us all to gain from seeing how problems are solved other ways. And um, part of my motivation for this season as well, this topic as well, was talking to a friend of mine who works in different languages and talking about how they interview candidates and the, the challenge that they put them through. And my immediate reaction was, I would love to do that in Elixir because I think Elixir would solve that programming challenge really well. And so it was like, well, how would Elixir do it differently than Python? 
for example. And so I think thinking through that across various pieces of our tech stack, I think is, is going to be really interesting to hear. Yeah. And for all of you out there who've been in one of those water cooler situations or at a meetup in the pizza stage before the meetup starts, and people are asking you why Elixir, this might be an interesting season to point point people to because there just might be some interesting ways to solve it. I also am interested, again, I know we're kind of recording early October, but my brain's already on holiday season stuff. And I'm thinking Advent of Code coming up in a few months and everyone across the world solves some similar problems in various languages. And I think that would be like a really interesting thing to dig into as well. So many, many different things to talk about. I'm curious, just a baseline for us as host, what are some of the languages we've worked in previously? I'll start. I've worked, you know, a little bit. I've dabbled in PHP, did it professionally for a couple of years. I've never run a JavaScript server, but I've written a healthy amount of client-side JavaScript and client-side HTML and CSS, of course. I've done a little bit with Python as well. What about you guys? I don't remember a life before Elixir. Owen, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I've talked about this before on, on this podcast, but before Elixir, it was JavaScript, React, Angular kind of world for me. And during the last three years, probably Elixir, on top of Elixir was some Flutter, some Dart, which was like a real head spin to go back and forth between Elixir and, and an object-oriented kind of style. Just, whew, but fun. It's a fun ride. And I think for me, you can kind of look at it and without listing every language because, I don't know, it's a lot. So for me, I think I kind of think about it as phases in my life, right? There's the early days, academic slash hobbyist, C, C++, some Java, and then PHP. Then professionally started to get into like C Sharp, ASP, VB, Python, all the while throughout that phase, Ruby, JavaScript, uh, a lot more Ruby, a lot, a lot, a lot more Ruby. And then professionally Ruby, a uh, little bit of Go, and more JavaScript, and then Elixir. And oh, some Dart now too. So yeah, kind of all over the map. This tracks with what I expected, which is all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of them, but a lot of them. <laughs> Have you ever written pure assembly, Dan? Uh, n no, I've done, well, trying to remember what that was academically we did some i did some basic like forever ago and then i guess yeah some assembly just those uh opcodes and move, moving stuff in registers there were i did that in a class or two it's it's super interesting it's a lot of fun to kind of like think about it at that lowest possible level but i've never had a cause to do it for anything more than a academic exercise so if, if you're not having enough fun managing memory in uh c++ or something you're saying it's more fun to uh, just go straight into assembly lane and just like... I mean, what is there to manage when you've got like 32 <laughs> registers, right? You just, you know, insert number here, insert number here, add together mm -hmm. and put it there. Just a lot of a lot of moves and adds, and that's, that's pretty much it. So yeah. when, you th when you think about what you write and what that then turns into, it's, it's crazy. Do you guys miss anything from these other languages? Do you feel like you've lost something... Or like maybe maybe not something big, but like maybe a small feature or something, you know, here and there, either from languages or frameworks outside of Elixir. Well, I, I certainly don't feel like I lost significant white space. That is something I I do not long for uh, ever ever returning. <laughs> I don't know that I've lost anything because I still reach for those things. 
you know, if I'm going to write a quick little thing on my computer to get something done, you know, move some, move a bunch of files, download a bunch of things, convert some data from one format to another, I'm still probably just going to grab Ruby and do it because I'm just, that's how I think about it. It's not that it can't be done in anything else, but Ruby is going to be my go-to for that still. It's too many years of doing it that way to do it any other way. It it almost reminds me of when when people move to another country and they start learning that language, the native language, people always ask them, like, how many years does it take you from being here to start dreaming in that language? Instead of I was just it, thinking the same thing. <laughs> so Dan dreams, dreams in Ruby. I don't know. Right, right. Yeah. In my dreams, what do I write code in? Uh, I don't I don't think I write code in my dreams, but you know, fair enough. <laughs> right. It's all spreadsheets in your dreams. <laughs> right. Yeah. Visual Basic and formulas. Yeah. Yeah. Formulas <laughs> in Google Sheets, right? That's... Oh, right. Yeah. I guess you don't do Visual Basic in Google Sheets, would you? <laughs> That'd be wild. In terms of like things that I missed, I can't even say that I really felt like I missed anything because learning Elixir was like such an aha moment. But it did come up on one episode last season. I can't remember which one specifically, but we talked about the Redux time traveling tool where you could like really investigate state as things changed and happened. There was a and, question about whether or not live view would get something like that someday. Right. And I think at this recent Elixir conf, there was in the keynote, some really interesting updates to Phoenix and just like being able to dig into the, the markup inspect element, just see the, the like live components that things were coming up and such in, in your local that reminded me of some of the getting closer to what I was missing. Then again, like the Elixir work I did was much different than the React Redux work I was doing. So I there's the one-to-one comparison isn't quite there. But I didn't even think I had missed it until somebody mentioned, do I miss it? And I was like, oh, uh, it would be nice, I guess, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah, it's the uh, funny thing there is like we, our state typically is not in the client. It's almost entirely on the server. So you can kind of imagine how we could replicate time travel, especially if you're in event sourcing or even work with the CDRTs and stuff. Some of the developer tooling I do miss from dabbling a little bit with, uh, I think, Laravel. I had like a really handy developer toolbar where you could kind of like inspect queries and get little red badges when you had optimization problems or N plus one queries and stuff like that. So I agree. Like it, it'll be great to see a little bit more focus. We're starting to expect Live View 1.0 probably before the end of the year from the rumors that I'm hearing. So uh, yeah, it'll be is nice it to see. Live View 1 or Phoenix 1? Phoenix is on 1.7. So Live View oh, yep. has been kind of like approaching. Uh, 0.20 1.0. is the last minor. It's, it's minor, right? I think so, yeah. And then 1.0 is next. Yeah, yeah 1.0 is next. I think I saw that. Right, right. So yeah, like a dev toolbar would be great. I know there have been a couple of people working on that over the years. It'd be nice for, for that to mature a little bit and be even part of Phoenix proper if it works well enough. But I mean, I, I've, I do feel spoiled generally. Like having a robust REPL in Elixir, it's not something I had in PHP. You could run PHP code, but getting your application code to run was always a lot more difficult in in the REPL than, than it is with Elixir. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, 
most of us just do like IO puts, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, oh, and speaking of rebels, this next kind of point here about when you want to prototype something quickly, what language you reach for and why. It reminds me of like, I'm, I'm really being retrospective right now. I'm thinking back to the beginning of my career when a lot of my work was like CSS driven, just like I had a lot of heavy CSS to write. Just <laughs> my entire job was taking the core application and making it look exactly like another website that you just practically randomly pulled down. And my go-to thing to prototype something was CodePen because right. I needed to take our core application outside of the context of our core application because it was being overridden by other styles and I needed to just like make some crazy things with CSS, see it work, see it happen outside of the spec and then bring it back in and then massage it to make it look right. And I haven't thought about that in a long time, but like looking at this question about prototyping, I know it's not quite what we're hitting with this particular question, but that's what it, where my brain went. It's code pen. <laughs> yeah. I used to be the same way. Like I started as a front-end kind of aspiring front-end developer and then I think I can mark maybe around 2018 or 2019 is whenever I stopped feeling like I needed to go to CodePen first to like try out something. I could just spin up a Phoenix project or a PHP project or something. And I felt like it was actually a little bit easier to do that than it was to hack a little bit in CodePen and then pull things out. Huh. Yeah, I've got some some interesting, anytime I go back to CodePen, because it's now like a, like maybe an annual thing, I, I'm like, wait, oh, that's in there? I've got a bunch of like random code pens of different kind of experiments I was doing several years ago. It's like a, a photo album or something. Yeah. A photo <laughs> album of all of our old code. Oh my gosh. That's well, seven years ago today. You were working on this code. <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> code memories. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, you know, that's an idea. It's awful. But somebody should do that. Absolutely should do that. <laughs> right. Dan, you already mentioned you you reach for Ruby basically immediately. Is that still true? Or yeah, well, I mean, I think it, it, if I'm doing something I need to make it actually work, then yeah, I'll probably reach for Ruby to get something built quickly. Um, you know, when we talk about just like prototyping, I think I have a tendency to use whatever I'm using at the moment, and often it's to try to learn it more, push the boundaries on it a little bit more. I have some kind of like little toy things that I've built over the years. Or, or never really fully built, but just like tried her out that I think I probably originally wrote in like C++ and then like wrote again in Python and then wrote again in Ruby and then wrote again in Elixir and wrote again in Java for Android and maybe wrote a tiny bit of an Objective-C, although I don't think I've done a whole lot of Objective-C. I, I think I, I have always found a lot of value in kind of building something you understand reasonably well, kind of from scratch as a way to learn. And so I kind of think about that in analogous to prototyping something quickly where use what I've got, got in front of me, what I, what is most, most in, in memory at the time. So if I was going to prototype something out tomorrow, I don't know if I'd use live view, but I'd use Phoenix. I'd probably push myself to use live view at this point. So, oh, and you win. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is, well, I almost announced the date, but yeah, it's late 2023 and We've won Dan over to Live View. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is practically a documentation or documentary of pulling Dan over. Right. The, yep. the yep. 11 seasons of Dan being a grumpy curmudgeon who's eventually coming around <laughs> to the things everybody else wants to use. Your timing's good. Like, we're, we're, we're in a good place with Live View. But 
but yeah, going back to prototyping, I I don't think I can say I've done hundreds of prototypes, but dozens of prototypes over the years. And I think my progression has been from raw HTML, CSS to like starting things in jQuery and then doing maybe a little bit of React stuff and then Vue was my go-to. That's kind of what probably got me out of CodePen was using Vue.js. Mm-hmm. And then over the past five or six years, Elixir and Phoenix are like my go-to tools whenever I either need to do something with a script or build some kind of application, build the same type of application multiple times in different ways, uh, sometimes with, with Elixir and Phoenix. So yeah, and it's always a learning process. And w- one thing, talking about prototyping, one thing that I think I've gotten better at is I used to have this pattern, this is probably just a junior dev thing. I would start a prototype, a few months would go by, and then I wanted to work on it again. So what I, what I do is I would just delete the repo and start over again and do that three or four times. Now I'm reopening the existing repo and upgrading or updating it because that's what we do in our day jobs now. So we talked a little bit about languages. We've also had, I think, an evolution in terms of how we think about structuring code and how we think about the problems that we're solving as well. MVC has always been, at least in, in my developer lifetime, has been kind of like the de facto standard for building web applications, at least. Models, views, and controllers. And with Phoenix, that started to evolve a few years ago. I don't think I see things in a very strict model view controller kind of paradigm anymore. I don't even know what the new paradigm would be called because it's almost like every framework you work in has a slightly different take on things. And even the teams work using those tools might have their own kind of mental frameworks. But do you see like new alternatives to MVC that you could name? I mean, even in LiveView, I still see some of those MVC patterns. They're just... They're a little different, right? The the request path is different. You end up with all these handlers for these different events, but the idea of this path maps to this thing, right? And then a bunch of other things happen off of it. It's harder to see, much harder to see everything that can happen from like a routing layer in a live view app than it is from something that's more traditionally MVC. But I, I know for me, you know, when I learned Rails, I think that was my first kind of like big MVC framework it clicked in a way that I then looked for it in other places, right? So then I was like, well, if I'm going to write something in PHP before I was good at Ruby, I was looking at some of the frameworks there. Or then when I had to do something in .NET, I looked at like MVC.NET and it was like, oh, this is like familiar enough, how it's organized, the types of things you have to handle versus what the framework handles. And then, then the difference really became more about the particulars of the language and the product. And I think there's a lot of value in that similarity. Someone I was speaking to recently talked about learning Elixir and before knowing it, coming from other languages like JavaScript and and such, just not being able to know what to look for exactly, like not knowing what the framework gave, not knowing exactly what it does. There are lots of documents out there, but the average person who, who works in Elixir, like joins a company, is given this huge Elixir app and they jump in and they can maybe navigate a little bit, but without like a, a framework in their head already of, of what Elixir does and is, and they haven't started a new Phoenix project, it can be really difficult to kind of navigate that. And so something that they said was that learning more about Elixir or like doing deep dives gave them a map so that they themselves could navigate their app at their company. And I just thought 
That was a very interesting way to think about it because Danik sounds like you approach most things with a map already. Like you've had enough experience to have a map to things in your head. Well, and I think that's why I, you know, I mean, you, you could look at my desire to change as little as possible between various things as like a comfort or a crutch or a not willing to change or whatever. But, you know, it's a Elixir podcast. You pattern match against things you've seen before, right? I think that that experience is, is super valuable. And I think the diversity of experience is valuable. I'm glad that I haven't just done the same language for the last, oh God, 20 plus years. I'm glad that I've had experiences with lots of different things because I, I know that whether consciously or subconsciously, I draw on those things. And I can think back on all of them with both, oh, that was awesome. And I can also think on, on most of them and say, oof, you know, that was, was kind of tough, kind of a little hairy or glad I don't have to deal with those things anymore. And I think the culmination of all of it is is where there's a lot of value. And so I I try to encourage people to experience those various things. Sunday, you mentioned advent of code. I, I always think about that as a really great way. I think I've, you know, in the however many years I've tried it, I've used three or four different languages to do it. Sometimes the one I'm trying to learn at the time, sometimes the one I just want to get better at. And then comparing my solutions to friends' solutions in other languages is always, always a fun time. And then you start to get abusive with it and you try to see, let's not make it readable, let's make it clever. Let's make it as few <laughs> lines as possible. Mm -hmm. um, which is a whole other layer to the challenge, but don't do that professionally. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just push it. Now, I, I think a lot of times being a, a primarily a web developer, I tend to think of, of different languages and frameworks in terms of how you use them to build web applications. But there's many other categories of applications that we can build, even with Elixir and Phoenix, which are not necessarily web-based. So we've used, we've done a couple of projects now with uh, ETL, so like extract, transform, and load, basically uh, moving data from one place to another. Uh, I've done this now in PHP, a little bit in Python, and in Elixir with the client project. Uh, so I do think the Elixir project probably worked the best, and we learned a lot through that process about the language and also about the, some of the tools and decisions we made. I wonder... Dan, I think you've worked a little bit in background job processing. Are there notes that you're looking forward to comparing between Elixir and some other languages? Yeah, I think I've done probably the most background processing work in Python, Ruby, and Elixir. In some regards, they're all roughly the same, right? You get a, some arguments at some point in the future and you run some code. But I think what stands out with Elixir is that you can do it kind of out of the box, in a way that's different than the other languages. And even if you're using a, a like a message broker, which in the, the case of Oban would be like Postgres, comparing it to using Redis with Sidekick, or I think for Python I used MQTT, like RabbitMQ and Celery and, and things like that. So you still have that kind of message broker so you can have multiple processes. On the Elixir side, it's like, well, I have my, my Elixir, pro my Erlang process, and that's kind of it. You know, and maybe I've got multiple nodes, and so having a, a common shared state in Postgres is super valuable and, and super helpful. It's also not strictly necessary. You could do it without it through various clustering and, and other things. And we've talked about that in some of the previous seasons where, you know, Elixir kind of, it has, a, I think the big thing for me with Elixir is like we install a lot less dependencies when we deploy out Elixir applications, even complicated ones, as complicated as some of the other things that we have right. is that we can just... There's less to stand up, and that's really cool. 100%. Yeah, I love being able to do 
70 to 80, even sometimes 90% of what I need to do without installing anything, whether it's hex packages or external system dependencies, just being able to do as much as possible within language. And I feel like Elixir gives, gives me a lot of runway with that. That's been great. All right, so we've talked a little bit about our experiences with Elixir and other languages. Now we can start to look forward a little bit to what we have coming up this season. We're going to be recording episodes over the next couple months. I think going even into December a little bit. Without spoiling our entire guest list, I think we can talk a little bit about some of the episode topics that we're going to be discussing. Sunday, what stands out to you in the list that we have planned here? One that was like really interesting to me is this concept of boot camps are just so prevalent now that even like well-known universities are pushing out boot camps. So uh, I'm really excited to get into the possibility of talking to some folks from an Elixir boot camp versus another language boot camp. I also did one a long, 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 long time ago, and it was definitely a whole experience, even though mine was only part time. And I think that would be really cool to get into, like, what are the differences? What are the job opportunities right after hitting that that junior crowd, just trying to see what that's like out there. Dan, what episode or episodes stand out to you in the in the list here? I kind of come at things from a very, like, DevOpsy backend hat. Yeah, I know. Surprising to both of you, I'm sure. Things about, like, background processing, data ingestion, maybe some things with some server things. I don't know. Maybe we can talk about some deployment, anything in that realm. How we do what we do versus how other languages do what they do. That'll get my excitement going. Yeah, there's a couple topics. I'm A, interested in the topic, and B, super excited about the guest. This is all top secret, so I'm not going to spill the beans. But yes, we got some, some really cool episodes planned here. I'll just pick one, like garbage collection. Garbage collection is something you have to deal with in most languages, and the way it works in Elixir is something is it's kind of abstracted away. I've heard multiple people say, it's nice being an Elixir developer, I just don't have to think about memory management at all. You're going to need to know like how much capacity your machine has, but you don't have to think about, am I done with this data? Do I need to clear the variable or kick off a garbage collection process? Or is something going to happen while my application is running that's going to like, basically bring everything to a halt while garbage collection is happening. So that's a fun one. I think uh, we're going to learn a little bit and also be able to share, hopefully with some folks about how things work differently in Elixir. We could talk about every single episode here because <laughs> there's a bunch of interesting conversations we have lined up. I'm really excited just for the general conversations we're about to have. But if anyone is very impatient and thinks this is a great idea and would like to get started on listening right away, there is one episode from season nine, I believe, parsing the particulars with Frank Hunleth and Joe Martin on the particulars of nerves, which is kind of similar to this in that there are like two different folks from two different sides of life who are talking about the same subject, but how they handle it in different languages. So as a preview as to the, the, the idea of this upcoming season, take a look back at that one. I think that'll be good. So if you allocate space for that podcast listening, make sure you free it unless you're using Elixir and your process is going to die anyway. Anyway. I was expecting this from Owen. <laughs> it's, it's getting late in the day. Well, I guess uh, my work here is done. I don't even have to do a pun today, so uh, we're good. No, there, there's no pun, but there might be a pop quiz. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm surprising you both. No, no one knew this was no. coming. Yeah, this is this is fun time. Earlier today, someone sent me a, a fun little slide deck from, I don't even know how old this is, 
a guy who posted a slide deck of the languages he has worked with mixed in with the names of Pokemon. And he said Uh to recruiters, you need to pick out which one of these is a Pokemon. So in the theme of the season and Owen always bringing up Jigglypuff, (laughs) I'm going to read out a few. You're going to tell me if it's a language or or a Pokemon. Ready? Uh Uh-oh. All right. We need theme music for this. Go ahead. All right. D3. Language. Okay. Okay. Correct. Metapod. I hope that's a Pokemon. <laughs> it is a Pokemon Onyx. That's like everything's named Onyx. That could be There's either, some... but I'm going to say right. Pokemon. Okay. You are correct. Ekans. That sounds like a Pokemon to me. It is. It's snake backwards, and that's what the Pokemon looks like. Flask. Language. Language, yeah. Well, technology. Framework, but. Uh, framework, yeah. Framework in Python. Yeah, technology. What about Ditto. Could be either. I'm pretty sure it's a Pokemon. It is, in fact, a blob-looking Pokemon. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna name this entire. We've got even Paloma is on on this. She's like, <laughs> she can't like help it. She's like Pokemon, Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On that note with Paloma, we just wanted to take a minute to shout out our our wonderful producer Paloma. It has been wonderful yeah. having you here, Paloma, and helping us coordinate the the guests for this the season. If anyone is a current or future guest of the of the Elixir Wizards podcast, you'll be hearing from Paloma. Thank you again for being so amazing. We need, yeah. All right. Producer note. Insert sound effects here. <laughs> Yay. And applause. Applause. Yeah. I don't think we've ever asked for sound effects before, but we will need them. We're doing, <laughs> we're, we've, now we have live games and music, so we've, we've completely jumped the shark. All right. This is our, our hostful episode, so the future is unwritten. We will see what happens, uh, but we've got a bunch of great episodes planned. Uh, so you're going to be hearing about all sorts of different topics relating to Elixir, but also, like we said, comparing notes between Elixir, the community, the language, the framework, the technology, and all these other technologies that we all know and love. So, all right, I think it's time to wrap it up. I was going to ask if you have any plugs or if people can reach out to you on social media, but we're all hosts, so. So find us at SmartLogic. Right. <laughs> yeah, Dan, do the sales pitch. SmartLogic, custom web and mobile consultancy. We'll, we'll help you out with your projects. We're good at it. We've been doing it a long time. We'll use Ruby, Elixir, Flutter, and always, always willing to have a cool conversation with people in tech uh, on the podcast or not. So hit us up. Don't forget LiveView. Yeah, all right. Awesome. So, well, thank you guys for joining us, and we look forward to Season 11. Elixir Wizards is a production of SmartLogic. You can find us online at smartlogic.io, and we're at SmartLogic on Twitter. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. This episode was produced and edited by Paloma Pachenik for SmartLogic. We'll see you next week as we branch out from Elixir.